It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on TogiNet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. What I'm going to do today with you is you are going to be students. I did my uh, annual presentation, which I do every year, for UCLA uh, medical, uh, their MD residents in psychiatry, and marriage family therapists, MFTs and MSCCs, marriage family child counselors. I think that's what that acronym stands for. Anyway, these are people who are professional. They're in, you know, they're already graduate doctors. They're doing their residency, and I'm brought in specifically because I have information. I'm not talking about the concepts of something. I'm not talking about the theory of something else. I'm giving people what real people know actually works. So I'm going to work from my notes that I present to them, and it's a 15-page handout. It's approximately three hours, so I'll be picking and choosing what I share with you. But here's the thing. Even though these people have had a tremendous amount of education uh, in the area of bodies, in the area of people, in the area of relationships, this is something that does not get talked about, is the practical how do you do particular things to guide someone. So that's what I'm brought in to do. But the one thing I'd like to start the show with is the Sex in the News segment. And it's a New York Times article talking about the first man to receive a penis transplant in the U.S. And the reason I'm interested in this is also because they are saying the same thing for the severely injured soldiers. And I do a presentation every December, same thing, with where we talk to severely injured soldiers Uh, about, you know, sexuality and disability. And one of the biggest things that impacts for these young soldiers, particularly the young men, is they have body armor that they can wear, but the area that is not protected is between their legs. So one of the first questions they ask if something happens to them is, how's my junk? Meaning, how how are my genitals? How's everything? Is everything there? And Because since I just was reading this, a statistic here, it said that from 2001 to 2013, there were 13,000, pardon me, 1,367 men in the military who suffered what they call genitourinary uh, uh, injuries, which basically means that 
they have lost a part or all of their genitals. Now, understand that these are young men. So for them, what they have found is that when you are looking at the, you know, the impact of this on their life, they're looking at, I'm not going to have any ability to you know, have children. How they uh, coach the question on, uh, it, you know, is my penis functioning, they'll ask, will I be able to have children? That's sort of the code for, will it be functional? And what they know is that there is a very high level of suicides that occur for that's associated with these young men who are um, brought in with these injuries. So being able to do something for them, uh, highly, highly, you know, um, to me, that is something that I applaud these uh, physicians. It's a plastic surgeon and then the other is a, uh, the gentleman is a um, urologist. But what they did is they apparently planned for three years. And there was a gentleman who came in injured in 2012, and they spotted a, uh, you know, something on his penis, which resulted in a form of penile cancer, which involved he had to have a penectomy, meaning a removal of part of his penis. So, but this man is, you know, he's now... 60, I think, 67, I think. I think that's what they said. But what he said is, 64, is, you know, here he couldn't even stand up to go to the bathroom, you know, which the identification of how men feel about themselves and not having to, you know, sit down or being able to be sexually functional, he's not in a relationship. He said, I'm not going to go tell someone I, you know, uh, I won't even go there, won't even date because of this is an issue that I'm not going to tell a woman I don't have a penis. I had a you know, penis, you know, um, uh, had to be removed because of cancer. But what these doctors did is they worked on cadavers. Then they worked on, um, for, you know, from a tissue standpoint, what could be harvested, what could remain. Because you've got all of these nerves, then you've got the blood flow going into that area, and then what you need to do is you need to have a good match with the tissue for the transplant. Now, there was one in China, I believe in 2006, that did not, um, was not successful. There was one in France where apparently this individual went on to have um, a child. So there are, you know, cases throughout the world where it has been done. But the big thing about this that I like is the man who had the penectomy in 2012, even before he got out of the hospital, said to the surgeon, is there a way to, you know, after the amputation, he said, is there a way that I can have a transplant? And the physicians thought, well, you know, I, I don't know. But this Dr. Sir Trullo and Dr. Coe, they went and did this, you know, study with, the human cadavers, and it was only two weeks later that he gets a phone call saying, hey, you know, we have a, you know, a candidate, we have a, you know, we have the tissue, it's the right blood match, it's, you know, there's a whole range of other things that they go through, uh, because one of my best friends had a double lung transplant, so there's a lot of stuff about, you know, your, your mental, you know, your mind, how you're thinking about this, and so what, what I like about this is that this is going to give, for those young men, this will give them, you know, and 
an opening of a possibility and hope that it will be, you know, they can go back to being sexual beings. So I applaud these physicians. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was silly is they said, well, we're not going to do this with um, uh, transgender people. Well, they already have very set surgeries for male to female and female to male on how to do them, how to have the functional tissue be there. And the other thing is when they're doing that, they don't have to put a, um, they don't have to worry about uh, rejection. And so that's the thing that I look for is that how practical is it, how much work can they get done, and they're, they've got a, a whole new area of study that can help men who have had penile cancer or injury or people in the military. So that, for me, was the top sex in the news story for today. Now, what I'm going to do now is switch you over to student mode. And you will be, this is a presentation that, as I said, you will be like the students that I talk to, the, the physicians and the therapists at UCLA. And the person who brought me into it was Dr. Berta Davis, and she had asked me specifically, how do I talk? What's the way that I deliver information? And because I do a blend of the practical along with the scientific, it is a perfect matchup for this uh, class group. It's a class that takes, I think it's about six months or, or eight months, and <clears throat> They, and here's the reason that the physicians are coming to it, because they don't get any of this in their regular medical school training. They're taught to the test, meaning they are basically only learning what is going to be on that final exam at the end of the four years. So they have to, you know, memorize. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really grueling schedule for them. But if it isn't on the test, they're not interested in learning it because they have so much stuff they have to learn. So what I start off with is how I got into this. And for many people, they're not aware that my first foray into the area of sexuality was because of the information for me. And now, can you tell me again, uh, Karina, because I did not hear that clearly. Thank you. There we go. Um, so what I start with is how I got into it. I wanted the information for me. It was a very simple formula. I was a student in New York. AIDS was, you know, there. I knew I wanted, I was going to be sexual. I'm a sexual, you know, creature. I'm born of this. But I didn't want to put myself at risk. So I wanted to find out what other people knew so I didn't have to put me at risk, but I could get ideas. Kind of like I, I use the dance analogy. You don't have to have made that dance move, but if you see someone do it, you can go like this. You know what? I'm going to try that the next time I get out there because it's you've got the visual imagery of it. And so what I wanted was real people things that really worked for them. And that literally took on a life of its own when my roommate said, hey, you've got this information. You need to share it with my friends. Who at the time is she was at UCLA and in med school. And I said, well, why are you asking me? You're in med school. And she said, they don't teach us a thing about this. So my roommate and her classmates at UCLA Med were my first focus group. And what I wanted to know from them is, 
what do you want to know? And I will go and try and find it from people. And I also knew that the majority of the places at that time where I was looking for information were pathetic. They were they weren't uh, you know practical. They weren't what worked for me. And so what I did is I said, okay, I'm just going to put this together, test it with people, and then it literally took on a life of its own, where it went from local to regional to national to international in six months. So when I come back, you're going to continue uh, continue with the UCLA, and we're going to get into the tips and techniques right away. Be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. This is TogiNet, cutting-edge radio. This is the TogiNet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. It's A new study finds the happiest couples sleep the closest together, as in less than an inch apart. A survey of 1,000 couples found that 86% of those who kept such close perimeters reported they were satisfied with their relationship. Only 66% of couples who slept 30 inches apart or more reported being completely happy in their marriage. What's the word for getting up on the wrong side of the bed? Metutalipia. Another predictor of relationship happiness is touch. While 94% of couples who made physical contact throughout the night reported a happy relationship, just 68% of couples who kept their distance did the same. What's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, my ever-so-eager students. So, here are the things that I start the presentation with. A little bit of the history, and then I go into the why there is such a disconnect between a lot of the information and what people are getting. So, here's what I... I, I see and I know to be uh, one of the problems is that we have a society that basically started everything based on solely a male sexual function model. It was not based on the consideration of female sexual function. So all of the things that have been put into place from a visual standpoint and often from a, you know, whether, whether you call it porn or erotica or adult, um, a lot of it that is not uh, negotiated in the way BDSM is, a lot of it, the messages that people are getting aren't the real messages. 
So here's what I tell people. People will often touch the way they prefer to be touched. So men will often touch more firmly and more directly to action spots than women will. And that makes sense because that's what they do with themselves. And men's touch often tends to be more firm, and and that's a function of their Y gene and their skin being thicker and denser. So women tend to touch a little more lightly and a little more tentatively. So once people realize that your touch and your ability to touch someone's body is one of the most powerful ways that you have to, to deliver information, and if someone is too rough with something, you can just use one word, ooh, lighter, softer. Don't use a statement of, you know I don't like that, because when you use a full sentence, it's then heard as um, criticism, when what really people want is they want to be guided, and they want to know they're not going to be embarrassed or they're not going to do something that you don't like. So for women, they will often touch too lightly. So what a man can do or a partner can do is put their hand on top and say, this is the kind of pressure that I would prefer. Relative to how much suction someone might want, you can suck on someone's tongue and say, this is the amount of suction that I would like. This is, you know, um, I would like that here. I would like that there. Or it may be, you know, let's just, you know, play or or explore. And people get, you know, oh, I, I don't want to be telling them. And I give the permission statement of, look, babies explore everything with their mouths. They explore their toes, the this, the that. They explore the dog, you know, the wall, everything. So we know that our mouths are the one way we first learn to explore things. So why wouldn't we do that with our partner's body, knowing that the heat and the moisture of your mouth can be highly erotic for many areas of someone's body? Now, the other thing that I tell people about is, the intention of their attention. So, intention with an I of their attention with an A. Your attention is one of your most seductive behaviors. And I'll tell you, it's the number one reason why affairs get started. It's not about the sex necessarily. It is about the attention that is making someone feel special. And sometimes the there is no sex in an affair. Might not necessarily be the most common thing, but it is that someone makes them feel special. And particularly for men, it makes them feel powerful. For women, it's like, you know, I feel uh, cherished. I feel that I am seductive. So many of the things that will start affairs often are things connected to attention and connected to how someone wants their fantasy world to look. So if someone is not feeling that their partner is giving them enough attention, they might just feel, you know what, I'm, you know, I want to fantasize about being so desirable they can't resist me. That might be, you know, uh, a fantasy. And by the way, fantasies, we think about fantasies as, oh, people are doing that and they shouldn't do that because they shouldn't be doing that, you know, they should just be thinking about their partner. Well, how inaccurate is that? Here's the deal. We fantasize about things all day long. You drive down the road, you see a house you like, you see an outfit you like, you see a car you like, you see something, and then you go like this, oh, you know what? 
I think I'd, that would be great to have that. People do dream boards. People do dream building. What do you think that is? That is taking a thought that might have been a fantasy, and the more you focus on it, the more likely it is to become a reality. But one thing people have to know about fantasy sex is sometimes the fantasy sex is far better than what actually happens in the real world. In other words, you may be having a marvelous fantasy, but when you try it with someone, it doesn't work all that well. Now, the other thing, if you are looking for a book, if you are a parent or a grandparent, there is a terrific book out by Corey Silverberg, S-I-L-B-E-R-B-E-R-G, B-E-R-G, and it's called Sex is a Funny Word. And what it will help people do is have those conversations with their um, pre-adolescent and adolescent children in a way that puts the, the child or the grandchild or the adolescent in the driver's seat because it has them look at questions from their standpoint, rather than someone just doing an information dump on top of them, it literally brings them to ask questions about how did this make you feel in a way where they are in the driver's seat. It's a really terrific book. Again, it's called Sex is a Funny Word by Corey Silverberg. Now, the other thing when we talk about touch, and I show people how to do the swirl, which is instead of just touching in a straight line, you're creating an irregular pattern. And that has the nerves be much more aware, and it wakes up different parts of your body. So rather than just putting your hand on somewhere and just leaving it, that's like putting a belt on. And the more it stays there, the more that you know your body goes like that. Okay, belt's there, and it forgets that it's there until you take it off. Because the sensation, the little nerves go like this, I don't need to be registering this anymore because this is the same sensation I've been, you know, had for the last three minutes. But if you do a wiggling motion or a change in pressure, you're going to make that touch still feel fresh. And here's the other thing that we know. We know people are going to learn about sex. The question is from whom and how. And, you know, for, you know, when we get through and past adolescence, Post-adolescence is 70% of people's lives. So this is an ongoing get, quite, get comfortable with this conversation. And it's something that people need to know, how can I, you know, I'm going back into the dating world. What do I need to do? What do I need to know? And, yeah, there's still a lot of stuff that you need to know about a partner. And I had someone describe it as dating sites are kind of like, they're kind of like a, a funneling process where it puts people in who are looking for someone else. Now, what you have to be aware of that Ashley Madison founder was aware of and when he went and looked at websites for dating websites, it's like 25 or 30% of the men who are on those websites are married. So you have to be aware of you know, who you are getting into conversation with. And actually, Facebook and social media they have become one of the number one uh, uh, pieces of evidence used as uh, in divorce proceedings with, um, from the, I think they're called the, the Attorneys Association for Matrimonial Law or whatever it is. Anyway, here's another thing. With men knowing how 
entry into a vagina field with the heat, the pressure, and the moisture, and the combination of those three being amazing, that is incredible for them. So they think often that if it feels like that for them, it must be amazing for the woman. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth for most women. And when I said this in the class last Thursday, I said, for most women, their reaction is, this is it? You're kidding. And, you know, all the women laughed. The men kind of were were like, "Mm, really? Yet, what women know and know very well is that they, it's more the oral and the manual techniques that are often the best techniques for them to be most orgasmic. But men keep being given the message from other men in porn and in other material that it is penile vaginal penetration that does it. If you watch the majority of porn, you're going to see a woman using a vibrator while they're using all these toys on her, while they're using, you know, uh, penis going here or this going there. And the thing that's doing the best thing for her is her knowing her own body. Now, the uh, if you are looking at, let's, let's go to here for this, if you're looking for um, information, uh, research information to back up some things about, you know, the, the use of toys, the, you know, orgasmic uh, response of women, uh, the, and this is a huge survey. as Dr. Debbie Herbenek, and she's at Indiana University, and it was a Trojan-sponsored online survey. Now, Trojan did not pay for the data analysis, but it was, you know, for 6,000 women and 19 to 94. And what they did is they looked at <clears throat> orgasm last um, last intercourse, The what they used, did they use toys? And what they found, one of the biggest things, women who used toys and vibrators and things like that were had better sexual health. And the reason for that is that they were more aware of their own bodies and they were paying more attention to their genitals, you know, their genitals and to their genital health and pleasure. So what, one thing that stood out is that 30% of the women had pain on their last sexual encounter. Now, what's going on with that? Is it that they're dehydrated and not lubricating? Is it not enough lubricant? Is it the wrong position? Is it a partner who's being rough? Is it a partner who's unaware? Is it... So, I mean, when you have a third of the women saying that they have pain the last time, oh, there's a there's an issue here. So that was something that is also being addressed. And by the way, both sexes fake orgasms and for the same reason, because they know that they are... Nothing's going to happen. They're working hard. They might be getting a cramp in their glute. They might be, you know, getting sore, and they just go, you know what, I'm just going to fake it and get it over with because I know nothing's going to happen. Now, we're coming up to our next break, and I'm going to talk about psychic sex as soon as we come back. Please stay with me, and I will be right back. Sex 
Talk with Lou on TogiNet. With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. ever get nervous riding in an elevator because you're afraid the cable might snap? It's entered my mind more than once. According to Elevator World magazine, on the rare occasion a cable breaks, the car won't hunge plunge to the bottom. This is because elevators have as many as 10 cables holding them up, each capable of supporting a fully loaded car. Sometimes I feel a little mischievous in elevators. Next time you're feeling like a rapscallion, try one of these little jokes. When there's only one other person in the elevator, tap them on the shoulder and then pretend it wasn't you. Push one of the buttons and pretend it gave you a shock. Or maybe start a sing-along. What's a word for a person who thinks he's funny but no one else does? Zitzel soup. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The goal for each of us is to be active. Every day, I encourage you to get up and get moving. Put your body in motion and watch your mood change in a positive way. Your outlook on life improve, your energy increase, and many more affirmative things happen to you. Remember that you don't need to be an athlete in order to be fit. I hear that excuse quite a bit. Some people think that since they're not athletic, they can't be fit. Nothing could be further from the truth. It does not take athleticism to walk on a treadmill or outside. You don't have to be an athlete to swim laps in a pool or to take a yoga class. I'm not athletic, yet I am fit. So don't let your excuse for not being active be because you're not an athlete. No matter what your coordination level, you can be fit. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. So, what is psychic sex? That is when someone thinks you know what your partner wants, or you think your partner should know what you want. And how this first, you know, um, occurred for me was a gentleman who had been widowed, and he was uh, engaged at the time, I think he was 62. He was engaged to be married again, and he we knew one another from. Uh, we both went to the same gym, and so I told him. He said, "I want to come and talk to you about what I need to know more about women's bodies." And when I told him the showed him the stuff about touch, he was he got this really sad look on his face, and he said, "Oh my God!" He said. He said, I just wish I'd known that with my 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 first wife. He said, I, I could have done so much more for her. He said, I just kind of assumed she knew what I wanted, and I realized that she didn't, and I didn't know what she might want. So that was one of the things, you know. And the other thing, 
people can take really big lessons from kink because in kink, uh, they negotiate how they want to feel, the sensations they want to have, the, the play that, you know, the, the mental part of it and the physiological part of it and the psychological. I mean, they cover all the areas of how they want to experience a particular play session or a particular session. And what also is something that many people don't realize is the submissive is the one who controls everything. Because if the submissive isn't doing or wanting to do something, nothing is going to happen. It just won't. Because the sub is the one that controls everything. Now, here's the other thing. There is another organization called the American Medical Student Association. And that, uh, the URL for it is www.amsa.org. Again, amsa.org, the American Medical Student Association. And they have a sexual health scholar program. It was created by Dr. Carrie Roth Bayer, who uh, at the time was at the Morehouse School of uh, Morehouse School of Medicine Center for Excellence in Sexual Health. She created an unbelievable program. And it's an online course. They're online courses. So if you're interested in, in following on one or getting on one, that's the place to go. And this is the information that will be given to medical students because they're not getting it in their actual curriculum. Now, the other thing, when you're talking with anybody about sexuality, particularly, I was saying this for the MFTs and, and, well, for all of them because they are professionals in the field talking with people, I said, the more comfortable you are, the more comfortable the other people will be, the people you're talking to. Like if any time you've been around someone and you know that they're not, you know, enjoying themselves or they're not comfortable about something, uh, you know full well that their comfort level isn't there. And that will take away from your own comfort level of the confidence of what their information is. But the thing is, you don't have to talk about yourself. You can go and get information from different places. And if you do talk about yourself, don't say it is about yourself necessarily. Say that it is, you know, you are aware of people having blah, blah, blah happen. Because when you talk about yourself, being the one who had this experience, that's all people can hear, and then they imagine you doing it. And many times for men, it ends up that they are, they end up having this on like a uh, an ongoing, endless loop of you doing X, Y, or Z. So at which point they're not concentrating on the information being given to them. Uh, I have one friend of mine who is a, she's a physician here in Beverly Hills, her name is Dr. Julia Tatum Hunter, and she just, she, you know, she does um, uh, dermatology work and skin. She was previously an anesthesiologist and then went into this. And the reason she did is and as an anesthesiologist, she was well aware that she would see people having surgical procedures done, and she was like, I knew they were not going to be happy with that result. So she said she looked at what needs to be done, and it's like you need to feed the skin and you need to do a better structure for under the skin for all the stuff that you're putting on top. Because putting stuff on top is just one thing, but how are you feeding your skin internally? You know, what uh, supplements, what things can you do? And so what she asks people when they're there, she's just trained herself to say, so what is happening with your vagina? <laughs> and she's just straight up about it. And I love that because 
it opens the door for people. So, you know, it, you can have fun with it. You can laugh about it. The other thing that you can go to is an, an association called ASECT, which I am a um, sex educator for. That's my certification. American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And that's at www.aasect.org. And it is based on geographical areas, so you can search and see if you can find someone in your area who would be an educator like myself or a therapist or a counselor. If someone is a therapist and they want to get uh, their certification, they would need to have a counselor or, or, or as a supervisor. But here's the thing that often happens. The number one not asked question when people go in to see a physician is often about how will this med- medical thing, how will this surgery, how will this scar, how will this affect my sex life? And that's the largest not spoken question. So we need to have a way of having people be more comfortable to you know, ask the question, and clients will test your behavior or your reaction to question. For example, women may come in to get hormonal panels because of a drop in libido, but what it might actually be is that they're bored or they're uninspired by their partner. And, you know, one of my best friends is a physician in Ohio, and she literally says to them, you know, when they come in with the hormone panels and saying they have no libido, remember, your thoughts are things. So if you think you don't have a libido, chances are you're not going to be concentrating on it. But what she asks them is she says, are you bored? You know, are you not having fun in the bedroom? Is this what's happening? Do you need new information? And then what she would do is recommend one of my books for new ideas for, for the two of them to talk about it. Because one of the biggest problems in the area of sexuality is the poor sources of information. And the Internet, bless it, is a great source of range of things. But then again, you still don't know. It's like the Wild West. You don't know whether or not that's actually working for someone. And many times people don't have the scientific background, which I do, to know that it's absolute crap that they're being told. And also, we think about this, that the other thing is when you look at what is coming forward as physicians and as therapists, we have a crisis of inability of infertility and inability to have children and of people losing their libidos as a result of medications, vaccinations, and the foods that they're eating. And I had one young woman come up to me who was a therapist, and she said, because I know what happens many times with oral birth control, OBC, and the worst are the so-called beautifying, and that's... um, uh, the generic is Ocella, and the other is, I'll think of it in, in two seconds, it's not Pax, it's, um, but what it does is it stops the androgens from being, it, it blocks the androgens. Now, and women have far less testosterone and androgens, both of them, they're sort of like the same hormonal cascade, that, than men do, which results in, if you've got an androgen-blocking um, uh, it's, it's jazz and yasmine, that's what that, those are the two oral birth controls that say they're beautifying, so they stop breakouts. Well, what it does is it wipes out their libido. And I had one woman who, she said she has a client who is coming to her for, you know, things that she's dealing with, and one of the biggest is that she has no libido, but she has, uh, she has very bad, had very bad um, acne, 
And what was happening is I said, well, look, we know that the skin is your largest organ. What we also know is that this type of acne, it's showing that there's an inflammation somewhere. So what is going on in her body? Because you know sometimes people have a rash and they just treat the rash, but what they don't treat is what's going on in the body that's causing this rash to show up on your skin. So I asked, you know, what type of sugars? Is she, you know, wine? What is she eating? Is she putting anything topically on it? Has she tried therapeutic quality essential oils? Not just any scented oil, but therapeutic. And I said, there's a range of things she might be able to do. Is there, are there other products that she would consider taking? I mean, she doesn't want to have this cystic acne come back, but she has, she, you know, she's worried that she's got a, um, you know, sort of like she's caught between a rock and a hard spot. And I get that, but what if she starts looking into this, I will bet you she finds another solution rather than using those particular oral birth controls. When, as human beings, we're highly, highly programmable. So remember that when you're looking at these images, you are downloading someone else's fantasy idea. It may not be your idea, but it may end up becoming what you think you need to do. So what I also tell people, if you want to look at some really good videos in the area of sexuality, it's called Sex Smart Films, and it's Dr. Mark Schoen. It's terrific. Another thing that is a concern for me is a growing trend of, along with the infertility, of young women wanting to have vulvar uh, reduction uh, surgery. They want vulvoplasty. So they want to change what their external uh, vulva looks like. And that's based solely on what they're seeing in porn videos. And this is not what the majority of women look like. Majority of women have a very different look. They have inner labia that extend past the outer labia. They have pubic hair. The reason all of these women are doing all of this stuff with changing what their genitals look like is because guys are watching these films and saying, oh, I don't like how you look. I want you to look like what's in the porn film. And so there we go. We're going to be coming back, and I'm going to talk about the Kiven method, which is the number one oral technique that I tell people about to create orgasms for women. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet with your host, Lou Padgett. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. author of the best-selling book, Use Your Head to Get Your Foot in the Door, includes job search secrets no one else will tell you. Harvey is a true ideal praxist. That's a person who puts ideas into practice. Harvey admits landing the right job can be more difficult than the job itself. And successful people can't have phonophobia. That's the fear of work. 
But in these economic times, it can be a necessity to make money any way you can. What's the word for using any means to make money? Cuomo de Kunquais. So what's the best job to have? Will Rogers once said, the best job in the country is the vice president. All he has to do is get up every day and ask, how is the president? I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. So, as I talked about before the break, and if you have any questions, please just contact me on my, you know, my website, and there's a free ebook there for you. That's loupaget.com, L-O-U-P-A-G-E-T.com. And any questions, I have a very involved question here from a gentleman, and, you know, it's about he and his wife, a complete disconnect, and... Yet, I'm, I'm looking at this and going, I'm wondering whether or not this woman actually wants to stay in this relationship based on what her behavior is. Anyway, let's go back. The Kiven method, which is probably one of the most effective ways for a partner to stimulate a woman's genitals to orgasm. So, most people will think of uh, cunnilingus or oral sex on a woman as being between her legs and stroking with the tongue up and down. This is a, instead of being between the legs, the person is on the side, the partner is on the side. So this works for woman on woman, man on woman, you know, bisexual on whomever. It, it, it really it depends on if someone has a clitoris that can be stimulated, okay? Kiven is not a person, by the way. It's just a name given to this. And the person who presented it, I first heard about it at the... Um, uh, WASP, the World Association of Sexology in Paris, presented by Dr. Patty Britton. And what the person does is they, and this is in both my, the Big O book and the Great Lover Playbook. It's illustrated there so that, you know, people, it's illustrated step by step. So what one does is one lays on the side of the partner. So the person's head is at right angles over the woman's um, pubic area, pubic hair, and you know if if there's some there. And what they do is their tongue is going to be going over the top of the clitoral hood. So one hand would go under the leg, and one hand would push back on where the pubic hair area would be to expose the clitoris more. And the tongue just goes back and forth over the top of the clitoral area. Now. When this is being done, the other hand is underneath and one finger is resting. It's not moving, but watch your nails as well. It's resting on the perineal area. That's the area between the entry into the vagina called the introitus and the anus. So, or some people call it the taint. And when the tongue is stroking in the correct place, the woman's body will, it will just automatically give what are known as pre-orgasmic contractions. That's what she will be experiencing. And the finger resting on the perineum 
gives you that immediate feedback loop that you're in the right place. Now, the other thing that you are going to find, that the person will find, is that there are two little dots on either side of the clitoral ridge, and those little dots are actually, they thought, they didn't know whether or not it was a vasocongestive tissue or whether it's a nerve bundle. Chances are it's a nerve bundle because that's where the clitoral nerves run. But what the tongue will sense is it's like two little bumps, like a half grain of rice, and those are your anchor points to know that you're in the right place. But this is one of the fastest and quickest methods for women to orgasm during oral sex. Because, what again, let's go back to what I said at the very beginning, that for many women, they are being judged by a male sexual response model, not the female sexual response model. And male sexual response tends to look like a, you know, more of a mountain peak, done, finished. Female is more build, plateau, build, plateau, where because if there's too much stimulation too quickly, it literally starts to hurt. It's a razor's edge line between them, and it starts to hurt, at which point you can't go back. And it's like you have to stop because the nerves are just overloaded. So with the Kiven method, the only thing the woman has to do is relax into the sensation. That's it. So, again, it is in uh, two of my books in the uh, Orgasms, How to Have Them, Give Them, and Keep Them Coming, and in the Great Lover Playbook, which is the best ideas of what uh, thousands of people have shared with me are their best ideas. Just also a little FYI, there are two different nerve systems sexually that can be sexually stimulated for both sexes. There is the pudendal nerve system, which for women is the the clitoral area, the inner and outer labia, and then down to the perineal area. For men, that's the head of the penis. And for most men, the first inch is the most sensitive. Not so much the whole shaft, but the, the first inch and a half. And if a man's not circumcised, he's going to be likely even more sensitive. And do not listen to that crap when they tell you that there's no difference between the sensitivity of an uncircumcised male and a circumcised male. Yes, there is. Because when I've done my own anecdotal questions for men who are not circumcised and those who are, flat out there's a huge difference. So um, there's also what is called the pelvic hypogastric nerve system. Pelvic in the pelvis, hypo meaning below, gastric below the stomach. And that is the nerve system for women that that innervates the upper vaginal vault, the G-spot area, the cervix area, and it requires a much different form of stimulation for it. So it's a firmer, more more, uh, stronger uh, 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 pushing and filling sensation versus the often lighter sensation for the clitoral area, so the, for the pudendal nerve system. So the pudendal nerve system, for many women, feels like a pulling up and into their body, where the pelvic hypogastric, whether it's G-spot or upper vaginal vault or, or deep thrusting that, that, that is happening, that feels like a more bearing down and pushing out. And the same thing for men. The nerves on the lateral side of the prostate, which can be felt through the um, anus, through the rectum, and then felt up towards the belly button side. It feels like the where your thumb is, you know, your thumb is there, and then you feel that part of the palm of your hand. It's going to feel like that. Those are where the nerves are that are responsible for allowing blood flow into the penis. So that being stimulated will often result in a very strong uh, 
erection and also can heighten the, <clears throat> very much so, heighten the orgasm. There, when, when I talk about the things for people who want to enhance what they're doing, you know, there's, there are products that, you know, you can, you know, ingest. There are foods that you can take. But one of the biggest things that's going to change how, you know, you feel about something is your own mind. So just knowing that you have the ability to do it and the comfort for your body, that is so crucial. By the way, performance pressure exists for both sexes. No kidding. And the laser vaginal rejuvenation therapy is absolute crap. It is something that is a standard upper vaginal vault surgery. And the person who so-called, you know, uh, originated it, he didn't originate it. It's a standard um, OBGYN surgery for repairing uh, vaginal things or doing uh, <clears throat> repair for the ligamentous area if there's been a prolapse as a result of pregnancies. But what this person does, his name is Matlock, uses a laser on that area of tissue. Now, Dr. Tatum Hunter is the one who said to me, never should be using lasers in that area of a woman's body. And what happens is these women often end up thinking that they're going to be, you know, go back to having uh, amazing, you know, tight like a virgin. Believe me, some virgins are looser, some virgins are tighter. It has nothing to do with having had a penis in there or not. And what happens often with these women who have this surgery is dyspareunia, painful intercourse, because of the scar tissue, the scarring. And they have no idea how, you know, what, what is going to be happening. There are other, there is another uh, procedure now that is called <clears throat> the O-shot. I, it's not my favorite name for it, but it's PRP, platelet-rich plasmapheresis. Some of you may have heard of a vampire facelift. Well, really what that actually boils down to is your own blood is drawn from your, you know, from your body. It is put into a syringe. It's then put into a centrifuge, the thing that spins things down. And then what happens is that that, that separates it. So that's plasmapheresis. That separates out the growth factors, the stem cells, and then what is added to it is the platelet-rich compound is injected along with a small amount of calcium gluconate, and that's what activates the growth factors and stimulates them. So the PRP process has been used, you know, for years in dental procedures to put it into an area trying to get bone growth or something to grow in a hard-to-reach area. And the same thing, it's also been used in osteopathic, in, in bone, in, uh, you know, into a knee or some area where it's tough to get things to regenerate. But what it does is it literally is your own stem cells that get stimulated and that uh, has things grow. Now, being used genitally, it is, of course, with lots of... Uh, something that, you know, is a numbing uh, product, but it is in the upper vaginal vault, and then it is into the clitoral hood and the sides. And what it does is it stimulates that growth because what it will do for women who are perimenopausal and postmenopausally or after having had a surgery or childbirth or low hormones or something, this will bring back the muscle tone. So there's better bladder control, there's better orgasmic response, because 
the, the uh, PC muscle, the pubic coccygeus muscle, is regenerated and rejuvenated. And that's the thing that this O-shot refers to. And uh, you can go online, see if there's a physician in your area that might do it. But the, the big thing about it is that it is something that for women who have had an issue with bladder control as a result of a uh, long pushing pregnancy or uh, a heavy, heavy baby, that is, this is something that is like they get back their bladder control so they don't have to use like that tampon to push up the vaginal wall. They can basically have their own bladder control back. So at this point, we're coming up to the end of the show, and I want people to have an awareness that there's so much more information out there. You can contact me. And by the way, the stuff that was being put forward by Gwyneth Paltrow on her Goop site as being the $1,500 vibrator, what it actually is is someone went out and they got all the top-end lines of products from Jimmy Jane, from Agent Provocateur, from Kiki de Montparnasse, from Lalo. The $1,500 vibrator is a gold plate of Lalo. And they really are just high-end. But then she puts in organic liquid. Sliquid is an, a silicone hybrid. It's not organic. They put organic things into it. Someone needs to point that out to her. So any questions you have, please be aware of the impact of the medications you're taking on your sexual function. It's one of the biggest things that's wiping out people's libido and their ability to stay connected. Thank you very much for being with me today. And I will put this up onto the site and have a fabulous, fabulous rest of the day. for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget 